Dear Holy Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that every time we gather to read the Bible, your perfect and, and just all-sufficient word, you always got something to say to us. It doesn't matter what season we're in. It doesn't matter how our week has been. It doesn't matter how this morning has been. Everything you have to say to us is always relevant because you are always relevant. So, Lord, this morning as we, as we get into your word, I ask that you would in, um, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted, but most importantly, may we fall more in love with your son, Jesus. I just ask that anything that's not about you this morning would just fall flat to the ground and may no one remember that. And may everything that exalts your son and makes, uh, makes your glory be known, uh, may that be what people take away this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you that may not know me, it's, it's been a minute since I've gotten a chance to come back up here with you guys. Um, like Pastor Ricky said, my name is JR. I'm the church planting resident at your sister church in Amarillo, um, Redeemer Christian Church. Uh, so kind of think of me as like the cousin you never knew you had. So if I show up at y'all's birthday party, you know, so you know. So, But we're super excited to be replanting a church on the east side of Amarillo. It's a church called Emmanuel. We're excited for the work that God has for us. Um, and, you know, during this season of, of getting to replant uh, my parents' church, actually, Emmanuel, one of the things I've enjoyed the most is getting to collaborate with my dad. He's, he's the bivocational pastor there. And I think the reason why I like it so much is because I just genuinely believe that my dad's one of the most intelligent men I've, I've ever met in my life. Uh, he, he doesn't have any formal education. He didn't go to college or anything like that. He's a plumber, heating and air guy, um, bivocational pastor. But but. I just genuinely believe that he just knows how to talk to people. He knows how to navigate difficult situations. In a sense, you, you could just say he's, he's just really wise. He's not perfect, but he knows how to navigate things and talk to people. And, and as we've gone through this process of replanting, I've just asked them multiple times, like, man, how'd you know what to say in that moment? How'd you know how to, how to navigate that specific situation? How'd you know how to deal with, with, this, with these people? And the main response he's given me is just simply this. He says, all you got to think about is what is the right response for this particular situation? What's the right response for this particular situation? And in a similar way, our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 2, all the way down to 11. Our passage this morning is going to show us the importance of our response when it comes to us faithfully endeavoring to be obedient and faithful to Jesus. But before we, we go on with that, before we carry on with that idea, let's just, just do some backtracking. Let's just recap the background of the book of James. Uh, last week, as, you, as Pastor Ricky led you guys, you guys were talking about how the, this letter's author, uh, Pastor James, this, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, he was writing to his struggling church that was experiencing a pretty rough time in their lives. There's economically, um, they're getting persecution from the government, they're displaced from their homes. And the goal of him writing this letter was to address issues in their church and to also give them some wisdom for how to handle their, their current situation. Now, if you've been around church for a bit, I know that we've typically used that word a lot, wisdom, and we don't, we don't define it. So let me, let me just give you a, a simple definition for wisdom. Wisdom could be defined simply as this, applying God's truth to your everyday life. Applying God's truth to your everyday life. And as we come to our passage this morning, we're going to see that it's centered around these three commands that James gives to his church. 
Now, just on a general reading, the temptation there is just to think it's just a bunch of random commands that James is giving to his church. It's just a bunch of random stuff that James wants to do, wants his church to do. But let's just take a small moment to look back at the passage and let's look at these commands in a deeper, in a deeper way. So if you look at verse 2, it says, count it all joy when you face various trials, right? If you go down to verse 5, look what it says. is If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, right? And then you go down to verses 9 and 10, it says, let the lowly brother and then the rich boast, right? You see, James is pairing these commands with specific situations. Basically, these commands are actually responses to specific situations. And, and what this teaches you and me is that a major component of wisdom is actually considering our responses to everyday life. You know, one of the things that makes Christianity so unique is that all the theology and truth that we learn is actually meant to go from here to here. It's actually meant to shape and form our responses to the situations in our lives. So, so, so think of it this way, God cares about your response. God cares about how you and I respond to things. So, so for us, imagine the book of James is like, like Pastor Ricky said last week, is like Pastor James calling us into his office, uh, lovingly greeting us and sitting us down and saying, hey, we, we need to talk. And as we get to our passage this morning, the next sentence out of James' mouth is, hey, the, the way you've been responding to this particular situation really concerns me. It really concerns me. So with all that in mind, our big idea for this morning or, or the main point I would hope you take away from our text is this. God cares about our response. Our big idea is God cares about our response. And so now that we have that biblical truth, the question is, well, well what, do you, what do we do with it, right? When we look at our text, James is going to show us that we take this biblical truth and we're meant to... Um, apply it to our lives in three specific ways, or we're meant to have three specific responses. Those responses are count it all joy, ask, and boast. Count it all joy, ask, and boast. So let's walk through those this, just briefly this morning. So let's start with the first one. Our first response we're called to give is to count it all joy. And we see that in verses two through four. So let me reread that for us real quick, starting at verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the very first part of this verse is we see that James starts off this conversation by giving the command to count it all joy. Now, although we've, we've already said that this, this is a very hard conversation that James is having with his people, um, he's actually in this moments being very loving and encouraging. You notice in verse 2, he, he acknowledges the struggle that the people are going through. He, he acknowledges that it's rough. He says, you know, when you face various trials, basically when you feel the pain of living in a world broken by sin, count it all joy. Now, if we're going to understand what count it all joy means, that command, we need to first talk about what it doesn't mean. 
to count it all joy does not mean that when things are going hard in your life, when things are falling apart, to just put on a fake smile and act like it's all good, right? It also doesn't mean to pretend like the hardship in your life isn't as bad as, you, as, it, as it is, isn't as painful as it is. To count it all joy simply means to pur uh, purposely decide to have joy or satisfaction in some of the hardest trials of your life. And as we move on to verse 3, we see that James grounds that command. He, he centers that command with some very powerful and encouraging truth. He says that we are to count it all joy because God is working in our situation. God uses the hardships of our life, both big and small, to develop in us steadfastness or, or a dedication to God. And throughout the Bible, this, this language is actually used to describe the process by which God uses the Holy Spirit to shape us to look more like Jesus every single day. Basically, the scriptures are showing us that the proper response to the hardship of living in a broken and messed up world is to intentionally have joy or satisfaction because the beautiful truth that God is in control over all our situations in our lives and he's using those situations to make us look more and more like Jesus. But, but, while, but while hardship is, is, is used by God to form us, it's also a perfect breeding ground for what's called spiritual amnesia, right? Um, basically, it's, it's, it's the perfect breeding ground for us to forget about the truth that God is in control and that he's actually working in our lives. And, and spiritual amnesia can manifest itself in, in one of two ways. The first way, it, it could just be despair, right? It's that, it's that feeling of utter hopelessness that everything we're going to is just point, everything we're going through is just pointless, that our suffering and our struggle has no meaning to it, right? That's one way. But the other way is just an idolatry of comfort. It's where we work ourselves to the bone trying to make sure we escape all the brokenness and pain of this life. We, so we get a better job, we get a better, we try to fight for that raise, we try to get into a better neighborhood. We try to find fulfillment in our families or in our physical fitness just to escape the brokenness of this world. You know, personally for me, uh, my spiritual amnesia tends to show itself more with despair. And about 10 years ago, um, my family faced some pretty hard, deep church hurt. And I remember through that whole time, all I could feel was just, I just felt really lonely. You know, now my response was typically more of me thinking, man, I'm, I'm the only one going through this. No one else has it as bad as I do. This is the worst thing in the world that's happened to me and me alone. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's just despair. But you see, one of the most horrible side effects of spiritual amnesia is that we tend to think, we tend to look at the world either as just utterly hopeless without, without any type of hope for it, or we tend to realize that no matter how hard we work, we'll just never escape the brokenness of this world. It really just devastates us. But, but look at the encouragement James gives us in verse 4 right there. It's centered around this word perfect, right? James says, let God's work have its effect in you that you may be perfect. Now, now, now perfect there doesn't mean like what we think it means. It doesn't mean just to never make a mistake. Throughout the Bible, the word perfect actually means being who God intended you to be. 
And on this side of eternity, for those of us who've put our trust in Jesus Christ, what God intends for us is to be people who find joy in our trials because our hearts find rest and comfort in the fact that God is in control of every situation and he's working to make us look more and more like his son, Jesus. Now just think about how freeing that actually is. If for us Christians, what God's ultimate goal is for you and me on this side of eternity, it's not just a good job. It's not the pay raise. It's not comfortable living. It's not to have a perfect or this particular type of family. You know, all those things that can be taken away. God's goal for you and me is that we would respond in joy because our hearts find this, this comfort and rest in the fact that he is in control over everything. Another word we say for it is that our hearts find our comfort and rest in the fact that he is sovereign over everything going on in our lives. And I love how pastor, uh, this pastor named David Platt really summarizes these, these verses. He says this, he says, God is encouraging these believers to embrace trials, not so much for what they are, but what God sovereignly accomplishes through them. So there's a truth, let's just, so let's just take some time to step back and apply it to our lives. Let me ask you this a question real quick. Here's the question. How is God calling you to count it all joy right now? In your particular season of life, what you're going through, how is God calling you to count it all joy right now? Well, you know, the truth is no matter what trial you're facing or how your season is, whether it's big or small, good or bad, one of the basic ways we experience joy is by embracing the antidote for spiritual amnesia. It's, it's the practice of thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving is simply just spending some intentional time looking for the evidence of God's grace in our life and in our current situation. It's just taking time to look for how God is shaping you into the image of his son right now. You know, there's, there's a friend of mine who actually just ended up becoming an intern at Redeemer Amarillo right now. And uh, part of his internship is to meet with me and talk about preaching. But right now, right as he's just started the internship, he also has some pretty heavy medical problems that have gone on. And he's been in and out of the ER. He's been doing x-rays. He's been doing all this. And the doctors really can't figure out what's going on with him. And so as I met with him, I've been just so blessed to not only see him grow as a preacher, but to just see him the minutes after he just gets out of the ER, the minutes after he just gets, a, you know, bad news about an x-ray, to say, man, I really don't know what's going on, but I know God's doing something in me. He, he's drawing me closer to him. Like, my prayer times have been just so much more sweeter. Like, I see what God is blessing me with. I see how God's shaping me right now. That's been so encouraging. You know, Redeemer, let's just embrace the beautiful truth that our lives are in the hands of God and he's shaping them. Even in the worst times of your life, God is still in control and he's doing something in you. Let's just embrace that. Well, if we move on in the passage, we see that the next command that, that James gives us is to ask. And we see that in verses 5 through 8. So let me read verses 5 through 8 for you real quick. Starting at verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, 
Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So these next couple of verses, we see that James centers his command to ask on the idea of wisdom, right? And we've talked about it. Wisdom is just simply applying God's truth to your everyday life. But, but look at the situation he places this command in. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks the ability or if you're in a situation where you don't know how to apply God's word, how to apply God's truth to your life, ask God, right? I mean, how relatable is that, right? How many of us have ever been in a situation or how many of us have ever thought, man, I know what the Bible says here. I know what, what God's truth is here, but I, I just don't know what to do. I think every one of us in this room has probably felt that at one point or another, right? And I know that each situation is different. But, but typically I've seen that in every lacking of wisdom situation, every, some, every time we've lacked wisdom in a situation, I think we all feel three common things that, that are missing, right? Here are the three common things that we tend to feel missing. First, it's knowledge. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you just don't have enough information? Right? So it doesn't matter how many books you read, how many podcasts you listen to, no matter how many YouTube videos you watch, you just don't have, you just feel like you just don't have all the information you want and you, you just don't know what's going on. That's a lack of knowledge. Right? The next thing is a lack of experience. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you just don't have the experience to know what to do? You know, for me, I, I've, it's been about almost close to two years since I got married. And every week I feel like there's a new marriage situation that I have no experience for. I'm just there like, I've never been married, so I don't know what to do about this, you know? That's a lack of experience. Even, you know, lastly, it's, it's a lack of perspective. You know, ha have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you just don't see this from every angle that you could? So, so we kill ourselves to try to calculate a million type of scenarios just to find out that we forgot one other scenario. That's a lack of perspective. So what James is saying is that whenever we lack knowledge, whenever we lack experience, whenever we lack perspective, the main response is not to go read more books. It's not to go um, hear more podcasts. It's, it's not to try to switch jobs to get a new, more experience. The main response we're going to give is to ask God. Now before we dive even deeper into that idea, I think we just need to stop and, and pay attention to the warning that James gives us in these verses. And in order to understand the warning, we need to talk about two very confusing phrases that tend to work off each other. And the first phrase that we see in these verses is, it says, ask in faith with no doubting. Now this phrase does not mean that as long as you believe hard enough, God will just give you whatever you want, whatever you're asking for. That's actually very anti-Christian. We, we would call that the prosperity gospel. That, that is not how God works. Instead, what it's saying is that whenever we come to God for wisdom, we need to come to him asking and believing that the wisdom and, and perspective that he gives from his word and from the Bible, from the, from the pastors and from the people around us that point us back to God's word is perfectly sufficient and good enough for the situation we're in. That's, that's what it means. 
And that actually helps us understand the next confusing phrase that he puts there. He says, double-minded. This person is a double-minded person. You know, typically when people read that, they think like, oh, double-minded just refers to being a hypocrite. Right. And so I've talked to people where they're like, oh, I don't want to be a Christian or I don't want to pray to ask God for this because I'm just a hypocrite. I, I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, if that were true, then none of us in this room could ever pray and ask God for anything. We're all hypocrites. We're all imperfect. We, we all fail. What, what a double-minded person actually is referring to there is more of someone who flip-flops between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Let me give you an example. So, a couple years ago, I had a church friend of mine who ended up moving in with his girlfriend. And so we, we talked on the phone, and I was just like, hey, man, like, the Bible would actually call that sin, and it gives us better wisdom for how to handle our, our, our relationships. And his response to me was, yeah, man, I know, I know, I believe the Bible, I know what the Bible says, but to be honest, this is just a better financial, this is a better financial move for both of us. It helps us more financially. I know what the Bible says, but, but this is just a better move. It's a smarter play. Now, while many of us are probably not like my friend, how many of us have said the same thing, though? How many of us have said or thought, man, I know what the Bible says, I know what God's Word says, I know what God's truth is, but man, this is just a smarter play. This is just a better move for me. If we're honest, we're all guilty of being double-minded. But what I love about this section of Scripture is that as James is addressing our double-mindedness, He's saturating the conversation with so much love and encouragement. You know, in the verses he says, if we lack wisdom, ask God, right? The good news for double-minded people like you and me is that we can go to the God who created and sustains the entire universe. And he promises to give us wisdom. Now, now I'm not saying, though, that, you know, you, when you pray or you read the Scripture that everything's just going to become clear in your situation and all that. But, but what I am saying is that when you go to God asking for wisdom, you can trust that the wisdom and direction that he gives you, no matter how unclear it is to you, is sufficient for your situation. Why is that? Well, because you're going to the creator God who has eternal, he has, who possesses all knowledge. He has eternal perspective. And because he took on flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, he has successfully navigated every experience that you and I will ever have. And here's what's even better. The scripture tells us that when we go to him, he doesn't judge our need. When we go to him asking for wisdom, he doesn't look at us like, man, what's your problem? Instead, he looks at us lovingly and compassionately and he says, man, I got you. I want to help you. I love how the Apostle Paul really describes this idea in Romans chapter 11, verses 34 and 30, 33, 34, and, and 36. It says this, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who has been his counselor? And then verse 36, it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So again, let's just take a moment to step back and just ask what this means for our lives. Here's a question. Where in your life do you need to depend on God's wisdom and not your own?
Where in your life do you need to turn from, from your knowledge, your perspective, your experience, and go to God? Now, that's a hard question because sometimes the answer is not so clear, right? So in order to find the situation where we need to depend on God's wisdom, just ask, in what situation do you lack or need knowledge, experience, or perspective? Whatever situation that is, here's the answer. Go to God, and you could pray something like this. You could say, Lord, you possess all knowledge. You have eternal perspective, and in Christ you've experienced every type of test in this world, and you've prevailed. Please give me your insight. Please show me through your word. Give, me, give wisdom to my community and my pastors and to point me back to your word. And here's the good news. He'll be faithful to do that. You know, for me and Megan, I personally felt this, my wife, me and Megan, um, I personally felt this when we were deciding to come to Amarillo to, to replant a church. And I was talking to her about it. We were, we were like, okay, I think this would be cool, you know. So we were like doing the financial aspect. We were, you know, crunching numbers. We were talking to other people. We were reading articles and podcasts. And, but to be honest, it just made us more frustrated because it just seemed like everything just kept getting unclear. The more we were like, I'm going to figure this out. It wasn't until we just stopped and said, man, we, we got to pray. Like, we got to prayer. We asked God, like, you got to give us the wisdom for this because to me, it's not making sense. And God was faithful. To, he, he was faithful to give us perspective and wisdom. He used our pastors and elders and community to point us back to Scripture, to remind us of the truth that God built His church, that God provides for His people. And we were able to come. It didn't mean that the situation got all clear, but he, we understood that the wisdom God was giving us, the truth that He gave us, that was good enough. It was perfect for our situation. You know, Redeemer, if you're, in a, if you're in a kind of a moment right now, or if you're in a situation where you lack wisdom, here's my encouragement. Ask. Ask God. He is faithful to give you what you need. He's, in, he's faithful to give you the wisdom you need for this life. Well, you know, let's just finish out our passage. So when we get down to verses 9 through 11, we see that the, the final response that we're called to give is to boast. And let me, let me read that for you real quick. So starting in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and, and, and let the rich um, in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and, weather, and withers the grass. The flower falls and, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, in these verses, we see that, that James is addressing the people who are more in the lower economic bracket, and he's addressing the people who are in the higher economic bracket. But, but on a deeper level, he's actually highlighting a, a, a very powerful truth that in this life, we all tend to fluctuate, right? Hear me out on this, hear me out on this, right? So in this life... There are times when you don't, you don't just need your paycheck to stretch. You need that thing to do gymnastics to get, you, to get you through the week, right? To get you through the month, right? And then there are times in this life when the bank account is just fat. You feel good. You have good hours. You, you're, you're paying. You go to Chick-fil-A and you say, give me that 30 count. And they're like, are you sure? It's like, did, you, did I stutter? I want the 30 count. You know, like that. Like, we feel good. We feel good. And, and that's the thing. So what, what James is saying is that both in the seasons where the paycheck is doing gymnastics and when the bank account is fat, boast. 
That's the proper response to boast. Now, now boasting doesn't mean to brag, right? In the Bible, actually, boasting is defined more as to identify with. Or think of it this way. Boasting is to find your comfort and worth in something. And throughout the Bible, it actually says that we are to boast or we are to find our comfort and worth in Jesus. Right? So when things are financially tight, find your comfort and worth in Jesus. When the bank account is fat and you have plenty, find your comfort and worth in Jesus. Yeah, but, but the issue is that in both our seasons of plenty and our seasons of, of lacking, you know, of little, our temptation is more to identify with either the lacking or the plenty, right? So, so, so in our seasons where finances are tight, our tendency is to, to identify with what we don't have. We tend to say, man, I feel so behind on things. I feel like I'm behind because I should be where those people are at. I should have what those people have. That's typically what we tend, so we tend to identify with what we don't have. But also in our seasons of plenty, we tend to say, man, I've made it. I've got the good job. I've got plenty of hours. We're going to take this vacation. I'm able to pay this. I'm able to get that. We're identifying more with, with what we have there, right? You know, currently, for, for my family, me and Megan, I, I think we have seen that we're identifying more with what we don't have with our lacking, right? See, I know that going to be a pastor, and Pastor Ricky could tell you this, you don't make the big bucks. Like, like I knew that from the back. I wasn't going to be making six figures. I, I get that. And it's cool. But that really didn't hit us until we started getting around our family a little bit more. So, like, in my family, we have a lot of good people who, people who do a lot of good trades, and Megan's family has a lot of doctors and lawyers in it. And we started seeing ourselves saying, man, something's wrong. We should have, we should be taking the types of vacations they're taking. We, at this point in our life, we should be having those types of insurances that they have. We should be able to buy and, and spend the, that type of money. See, we, we're identifying with what we don't have. But the problem with identifying with your lack or with your plenty is that either you spend your life constantly searching for comfort and worth, thinking that it's found in the things that you don't have, or you spend your life just being anxious because you understand that all the things that you find your comfort and worth in could be taken away like that could be taken away by a global pandemic, by a natural disaster, or just an argument. And once again, that just devastates us to the core, right? But this is why the gospel is so beautiful. See, the gospel shows us that, that our biggest problem is the fact that we've failed to meet God's standard. Our biggest problem is our sin. And that has separated us from God and put us under judgment. But the good news is that God in his love and mercy sent his son Jesus to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve, and to resurrect so that we can be made right with God. So, so what that means is that if you've repented of your sin and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, in the seasons where, where the paycheck's doing some gymnastics, you could say with all confidence, man, my Savior left the glory of heaven to become poor and die for me. So I can go from being a child of wrath to a child of God. So I could have the glorious gift of eternal life. Man, I'm good. I got, I got everything I need. If you've repented of your sin and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, in the times that you have plenty, you can honestly and confidently say, man, I don't deserve any of this. 
Everything I've got is a gift from the Savior. And even though all of this could be gone tomorrow, I got the one thing in this world that can never be taken away. I have Jesus. So now I don't have to hoard these blessings. I can now leverage these blessings for the kingdom of God. You know, family, the only thing we should ever boast in, the only thing we should ever find our comfort and worth in is the one who perfectly lived and died for undeserving and anxious sinners like you and me. So I want to leave you all with one last question. Here's the last question. What would it look like for you to boast in Jesus? What would it look like for you to find your comfort and worth in Jesus? You know, this question has two levels to it. So if you wouldn't consider yourself religious or a Christian, you know, you're just checking it out today or you're going to hear this online, the answer to you is what we just said, repentance and belief. Confess the ways you've identified with everything else over Jesus and believe that it's only because of Jesus that you can be made right with God. But for those of us who would consider ourselves Christians who, who have put our faith in Jesus, the answer to this question is just to hold every current circumstance in your life with an open hand, right? It's to realize that no matter what situation you're in, you have enough because you have Jesus. You know, honestly, the best example I've seen of this lately has just been the people who are partnering with us to, to help us replant this church, who, who are financially giving to what we're doing. And it's to see people who are all affected by the pandemic and inflation to boast in their Savior, to know that they have enough because they got Jesus. And now they're going to give what they can so that others can know the joy of boasting in Jesus in both seasons of their life. Hey, it's just so encouraging. Redeemer, the text shows us that everything we have will go away, but Jesus won't. Boast in that. Identify with that. Find your comfort and worth in that. You know, to finish out, I just want to leave you guys with some, some more encouragement. So as you guys continue to go through this series in James, um, please avoid some, some typical temptations. So if you wouldn't consider yourself religious and you're just hanging out here with us and, and checking this all out, awesome. W would you be willing to just like suspend your doubt for a minute? You know, just suspend your, ah, oh, they're just telling me to do a bunch of rules and they just want to give me this stuff and hold me back. S suspend that. Take, listen to how James is having this very loving conversation with us. And for everyone else, as we walk through this also, don't think this is just a bunch of rules that you got to follow. See this as that amazing theology that you've been learning every Sunday. The truth of the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. See all that great truth come alive in your life. Affect the way you live and respond to everything. You know, Redeemer, let's just be a family that our responses are birthed out of and formed by God's truth. Amen? Let's pray.